Welcome to The Wayfinder. This is a brand new series where we will engage with thought leaders in the field of international education. Today we'll hear from a longtime NISA friend, Tom Schimmer, an expert in the area of student choice and agency. Following Tom's interview, we'll be connecting with Leanne Lavender, and Leanne is a storyteller who will share an amazing story about resilience, connections, and community. It's a story about our NISA school, the Schutz School in Alexandria, Egypt, and the Khartoum American School. These two schools are joining up. They have partnered together to make an impact in student learning. We hope you'll stay on and listen. Enjoy the podcast today. Thanks, Maddie. Let's dive right in. I am delighted to introduce our special guest today, none other than Tom Shimmer. Tom Shimmer is an education author, speaker, and consultant from Vancouver, Canada. He's recognized as a leader and expert in the areas of classroom assessment, sound grading practices, and educational leadership. Tom, you have been a longtime friend of NISA, and we have benefited from your leadership for over a decade. Across the globe, you have worked with principals, heads of schools, administrators, but on a more practical level, you've also collaborated directly with teachers in the classroom. So much of your work and and what I'm hoping to dive into today focuses on student growth and development and is inspired by the idea of student agency and empowerment. Our podcast explores the theme of wayfinding, and I hope that we can use that metaphor to ground our chat today. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, so glad to join you today. Um, Certainly love the years I've spent with NISA, the NISA schools, the NISA teachers. Um, Always very professional, always very focused on kids and uh, anything I can do to support uh, the schools in that region. I'm all over it because uh, it's, it's a great region to work with, and I've certainly been inspired by a lot of the people I've met. We're so glad to have you on. I wonder, as as you think about the topic of student choice, which you spend so much of your time dedicated to, to learning and exploring, what is your North Star? You are a specialist in this field and have spent years and years looking at this area. What are we reaching towards and what is your North Star when you think about leveraging student agency? I, I think the North Star is ultimately where the students are are driving their own learning in a way that is, you know, not just a part of the process, but they are leading the process where teachers um, certainly provide structure, parameters, uh, strategies, uh, ideas for, you know, that's where our expertise really comes in. You know, I often talk to schools about, you know, learning about sound assessment practices. And one of the keys is not that teachers need to become assessment experts to become experts. We need to become experts to teach the students how to do this for themselves. We need to teach them how to interpret criteria, how to establish criteria, how to look at their demonstrations of learning and recognize what's next for them as learners. I think what happens in a lot of situations is, is we all have the desire to have students be more front and center in their own education, but we often wonder how, how do we do that? And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that the, the, the assessment cycle actually aligns very, very well with the self-regulation of learning. There's a, there's frameworks around, there's many frameworks, but most of them, most of the most prominent ones conceptualize the self-regulation of learning as students going through a series of phases. And those phases align with an assessment cycle where we, we ask the questions, where am I going? Where am I now? How do I close the gap? And we can begin to engage students in processes and practices that allow them to 
be an agent. I think sometimes we forget that, that student agency, we need an agent and the student is the agent on their own behalf and making good decisions and, and, you know, driving their curiosity and thinking about what they want to learn. So to me, it's, it's students being able to make front end decisions about their education within the parameters and structures of what's required in terms of standards and all of that. But that's, that's the North stars is having kids really be actively involved in their own education and making important decisions about what they want to learn, how they want to learn and how they want to show what they know. So much to unpack there. And I'm curious, as someone who hasn't really heard the word agency super often, what does it mean for someone to be an agent? Yeah, it just means I am I am my own agent, right? Often, uh, if, if you think of the sports analogy where an athlete will have an agent and that agent is their representative, right? When I have agency, I am my own representative. I'm my own advocate. I'm, I'm the one that, that sort of makes assumptions, assertions, et cetera, about what I want to learn. So student agency is about putting students in that role where they not just superficially and not just on the periphery, but, but really make meaningful decisions about how they learn, what they're learning. It really depends on the standards and it depends on what the goals are, but, but there's always flexibility. There's always opportunities for students to, to make important decisions about the direction their education is going. So a student agency just means the students are the, their own agents when it comes to their representation in their own learning. That's a great intuitive way of putting it. I think a lot about being at car, in a car and being in the driver's seat and being able to choose where you're going, having the roadmap. Tom, what about the unknowns? What is it that you are still curious about as things evolve and change in regards to student agency, assessment, and learning? What are some of your wonderings? Some of my wonderings around it are, you know, just, I suppose they're how, how do we get it right? Um, and how do we maximize the impact? Because, for example, um, inquiry-based learning uh, gets mixed results in academia. It's not there's not overwhelming research that supports that approach to learning. However, it's not that it's an ineffective approach to learning. It's that it can be implemented quite poorly, and it can be introduced at the wrong time. So, as an example. If I'm asking students what they're curious about, what are you interested in? What do you want to explore? But they don't know anything about the topic that we're looking at. So we're in a science class and we're learning about something and, and the students don't have any background knowledge. Their questions of curiosity are going to be very superficial. And that's going to lead to a very superficial experience in an inquiry-based situation. It's not that inquiry-based learning doesn't work because that's just a, a statement. Everything works if it's done right. But if we introduce it at the wrong time, or if we don't follow through in a way that has some depth and substance and, and cognitive complexity and all of that, then you know that the good news is everything works. The bad news is it's mostly contingent upon implementation, which is where teachers and principals, et cetera, have to, we have to get it right. And so that puts a lot of responsibility on us. It's not just try this strategy and it will always work because nothing always works. What works is is effective strategies that are well implemented. And so where what makes me wonder is like, where is the sweet spot? Where do we get it right? It's not a zero-sum game where teachers are, you know, the more the students are involved, the more the teachers back away. That's why I sometimes refer to it as more of an expansion 
It's like we need to bring students inside the process and expand the realm of influence, teachers and students. Teachers don't back away. Teachers need to be involved, but they're involved in a different way. So to me, it's what's the right implementation model? How do we get this right? What's the sweet spot? And and not to not only that, but how do we go to scale that it can't be dependent upon a single teacher's personality or drive? We've got to be able to scale this to a point where a school can replicate uh, these opportunities. So for me, that those are the things I wonder about. Oh, I'm really fascinated by that, the discrepancy between the ideal and and its implementation. You have worked in so many different schools in the U.S. and Canada and abroad and in 19 different countries. I wonder if you have any specific stories of learning where you have really seen student agency at play. Yeah, you know, in, in a lot of the places I've gone overseas, there's a real drive, especially the schools that implement MYP uh, as part of the uh, International Baccalaureate program, you see some real drive uh, around inquiry-based learning, and I'm and I'm thinking back and 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 trying to you know recall specific schools and and I don't know if those models have sustained themselves, but I remember working with the American Embassy School in in New Delhi, and um, they had a real uh, focus on inquiry-based learning uh, and the M- especially through the MYP, and that that's going back a number of years, and uh, assuming that that's continuing on, that that's an example. Uh, of a school that was really focused on, and one of the things that I was very impressed, I'm thinking back to a meeting I was I was in with a number of the teachers, and and they were really, and I thought this was the right thing, which was really focusing on that guiding question that I think sometimes we gloss over that and get into the research and get into the solutions, but we have to keep crafting the question. And in group-based situations, we have to make sure that we all understand the problem in the same way. Do we all see the problem the same way? Do we all see what the actual problem is? Um, so that's an example. I've, I've seen examples in different countries where there's just a lot of flex and a lot of opportunity for kids to explore. I'm thinking of uh, international school in Beijing, where there was, um, again, mostly mostly in the middle years program, which of course goes up to 10th grade, but seeing just opportunities for kids to really, um, you know, explore their passions, but passions with a purpose, you know, it's not just, you know, what are you passionate about today or what are you excited about? But it's like, there's a purpose behind this. I'm coming up with a, a, a plausible solution, or I'm trying to think about what would be an alternative or that's where I see it. I, that's where I think schools are getting it right is when it isn't just a free for all. I think that the, the worst case scenario with student agency and inquiry-based learning or project-based learning or problem-based learning or whatever the label we want to put on it, I think the worst case scenario is it becomes this just turn it over to the kids and let them explore. Um, and I think we as educators need to be more responsible than that and make sure that there are complex learning goals. There, There's intent. So where schools are getting it right is they're still focusing on the learning, right? So inquiry-based learning has learning at the end of it. It's not about doing inquiry. It's doing inquiry in order to learn something. And I think that's where schools are getting it right is they are, they are, um, they are, staying involved they're staying they're making sure the questions are sharp they make sure the process is deep and they then they push the students to to really think at a level of sophistication that that maybe they haven't in the past before Right. I'm thinking a lot about this question of how do we nourish the 21st century learner and how what is it that we are aspiring towards and I think a lot about what it means to 
guide students and allow them to become question askers, but then also critical thinkers and 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 lifelong learners. That's that's huge because the the whole idea of twenty first. I mean, co- content knowledge is available everywhere. We have it at our fingertips. the The question nowadays is not can I access knowledge. The question is which knowledge am I accessing is credible. And where's the fake news and all of those things that we've struggled with over the last decade or so where this onslaught of information. So you're right. I think pointing to 21st century competencies, right? uh, Critical thinking. Can I collaborate? Am I innovative? Can I create? And therefore content becomes the means to an end. So my colleagues and I often talk about content knowledge used to be the end result, the end goal of education, but now it's kind of using content to teach you how to think critically. And I think if you focus on those competencies, that's transferable and that's what will make students highly adaptable adults as they move into uh, you know, uncertainty. No, no educator right now can predict what the jobs will look like in 50 years. None of us know. Anybody who thinks they know, they don't know. But so, so where I land on that, where my colleagues and I land on that, is that the reason the competencies are so important, those 21st century competencies, is because they make us highly adaptable to an ever-changing society. And being a critical thinker, not just being able to do critical thinking, but to actually become a critical thinker as a default disposition, to me, that is going to leverage the greatest success for kids as they go into adulthood, uh, is being able to be adaptable, communicate, collaborate, create, um, be socially competent, think critically, problem solve. Those those are transferable skills that no matter what happens in our society as society evolves, kids will be well-equipped to be adults in, in our society. Absolutely. Tom, when it comes to wayfinding, there's also a time where wayfarers need to anchor themselves in a harbor for safety and to refuel. When you think about anchoring and our conversation today, what would be a good anchor for our listeners today? I wonder what final words um, you'd like to leave us with. That's an interesting question. Um, I, I think, you know, obviously this is going to sound um, self-serving because of what the you know the area of expertise that I hold, but I but I honestly believe that our anchor, our our grounding, is in sound assessment practices. There there isn't anything in a school of substance that doesn't depend on good information and clear information and accurate information about where learners are. Whether we're trying to teach them, you know, twenty first century skills, we need to be able to assess it. We can't make assertions that we are helping kids become twenty first century learners, but then turn around and say, "But we never assess that." The assessment cycle is what helps us, as I said earlier, kids to become more self regulatory about their learning. It helps us in terms of judging whether or not they are becoming more socially competent. It helps us in every aspect of school that is substantive. Will will be driven by sound assessment practices. It, it is for me the most efficient and effective professional investment any teacher can make. So understanding sound assessment practices will will have the greatest reach into your career. And I think it will make, as far as you know, my perspective, it, it will make teachers more comfortable and confident and competent at being able to create agency within the classrooms because they, they'll have their eye on the prize. And the eye on the prize is making sure the students are hitting the learning goals, the standards, and that level of sophistication that the standards have identified. But I think as they become comfortable with that, what they'll start to realize is that there's a difference between standards and standardization. And standards do not mean that education is standardized, right? Standards just are like a building code. 
you know, every building has to be built to a certain code or a certain spec or whatever, but not every building has to look the same. So that's where the creativity comes in, right? It, you know, another analogy is it's the rules to the game. Standards are the rules to the game, not the strategy for playing, right? So we don't, we have to make sure we separate those ideas of standards and standardization, especially from a skill or a, a learning perspective. So the, the parting words for me would, would be that no educator will ever regret investing in their understanding of sound assessment practices and processes. Mm. As someone who grew up in the international system and did PYP, MYP, and, and DP, that's one of the things that I took away, that to be the most successful student, I really did have to understand how to play the game and, and what the rules were. And I, I think that is something that does apply to mm. not just educators, but also students. Yeah. Tom, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that you have your own transformational podcast on learning and leadership. Where can our <laughs> listeners find you? Well, it's pretty easy to find. Um, I spent about five seconds trying to think of a name and I didn't want to do too deep a dive of a search. So I just called it the Tom Schumer podcast. And uh, it gives me a lot of flexibility in terms of the guests I have. But it is, of course, primarily an educational podcast. Thank you for for allowing me to mention it. Um, you know, there's lots of different things we do, but the, the anchor of it, if you will, is is interviews with some some very prominent educators, um, friends of mine, I've also had a chance to meet some new people. And, and over the last three years or so, there's been some amazing guests that I've had on there. So uh, if anybody is uh, interested in that, I uh, would, would love for you to check it out. Tom Schirmer podcast, you can find that on uh, anywhere on Apple and Spotify and pretty much every platform and certainly follow it on Twitter or I guess it's now called X. Uh, at, at Tom Schumer pod is also uh, at Tom Schumer pod on podcast on uh, Instagram as well. So that's where you can find it. Amazing. Thank you so much for holding space with us today and for all of your insights, Tom. Well, thanks for the invite. Um, again, like I said at the beginning, always happy to be supportive of the NISA community and uh, looking forward to our work this year. Take care. After our conversation with Tom, we wanted to connect with one of our very own NISA learners. Here's Rena a grade four student from the American International School of Jeddah, sharing about one way that she's connecting with the natural world and how her teacher recently let her pick something that she wanted to learn about. So one time, like here when I was in fourth grade, which is this grade, um, we, were, we were doing like Earth's processes and stuff, and we got to pick which Earth's process and what we could choose. I chose um, tornadoes because like I think tornadoes are really interesting and we're gonna have like um, an exhibition where like I write like where we write and like we're gonna show it at like the celebration I was I've been researching it like it's probably since the second or something week of school so like I've been spending a lot of time in it on it and I've um, looked at um, information that I haven't knew but known before about tornadoes which is really really interesting We're in Alexandria, Egypt, minutes from the Mediterranean Sea. What you're hearing right now is a schoolroom. Kids are filing in for the day, bubbling to one another in English and in Arabic, moving towards their friends like gravity, and making their way to their first class of the day. We have one last thing to share on today's episode, and it is a story of resilience, connection, and community. Earlier this year, one of our NISA schools reached out to support a school in need, 
Here to talk about it is Leanne Lavender, who is a storyteller and the AZA Service Learning Program Coordinator. The piece you're about to hear was published in NISA News. Here's Leanne. Last April, the staff, students, and families at Khartoum American School in Sudan experienced conflict and terror as war broke out in the city. For five days, they sought refuge in their apartments and then in communal gathering places where they tried to stay clear of stray bullets and airstrikes amidst mounting fear and urgency. When the French army escorted expat teachers and their families to a military aircraft on the fifth day of the conflict, it was against a backdrop of more fear and worry as an armed convoy earlier that day had been attacked and several people seriously injured. It was really terrifying, honestly. This is Bridget Davies, the superintendent at the Khartoum American School. You know, there was no power, no internet, no, you know, after a few days, it was very hard for us to communicate with each other. KIS is in its 65th year of operation, so it has a long history and has survived a lot of previous instability in its host country. This school has a story of resilience, and 2023 has added a major chapter to that story. After evacuating staff and their families to Djibouti, the school resumed operating online less than two weeks later, with teachers working hard to finish the academic year for students. In May, KIS Advanced Placement, or AP students, wrote exams at schools all over the world, and the International School of Uganda offered to run a joint graduation with KAS. Educational leaders also rallied to the KAS cause. Peter Bateman, Executive Director of the Association of International Schools in Africa, also known as ASA, and his team were involved in many aspects of the KAS evacuation and the completion of the 2022-23 school year. As well, Laura Light, Executive Director of the Association for the Advancement of International Education, AAIE, and Maddie Hewitt, Executive Director of the Near East South Asia Council of Overseas Schools, NISA, worked together to connect Bridget with a potential partner for 2023-24, Michael Schooler. Here's Michael Schooler. He's the head of school at Schutz American School, SAS, in Alexandria, Egypt, a school celebrating its 100th anniversary. One defining feature about Schutz is that it has always been committed to radical hospitality. I think I think for the Schutz community, you know, getting sitting down and listening to Bridget and Mona and, and other staff talk about the ordeal they went to to get out and the, the kinds of things they left behind, it's it's hard to fathom what that's like or even put yourself in those shoes, but I'm hoping that that our students who and our families who live kind of a life of privilege will get to to hear and be part of some of those stories and be more thankful for the kinds of things we have in the community we have just next door in our neighborhood, you know, a country's falling apart and it, it affects real people in really a lot of ways. The chair of the KAS board Mohammed Omar Suleiman happens to be a Shut School graduate, and Bridget had heard many wonderful stories about SAS during her years as head of school. As Michael and Bridget began to discuss a creative partnership for 2023-24, where KIS staff and students could attend classes on site at SAS, Mohammed wrote to the SAS board relaying his pride as a former SAS student and encouraging the board to support such a partnership. As a result of the hospitality of SAS community members, KAS has a physical home for 2023-24, and this is allowing the school to continue its mission with a sense of gratitude and hope. 
In June, the board approved the partnership and a memorandum of understanding was signed. Nine KIS teachers and 28 students are now on campus at SAS and will spend the school year teaching and learning in SAS classrooms and some online settings. Middle and high school students will experience a hybrid model, while elementary students will attend SAS classes in person full time. Two more KAS teachers and 15 to 20 students will live in countries around the world and engage in a fully online program. SAS and KAS were inspired by the partnership that emerged between the American School in Warsaw and two Ukrainian international schools, Kiev International School and Peshirk School International, following the war that broke out in Ukraine in early 2022. Here's Bridget again. We're trying to find some joy, but also acknowledge the fact that it's just still very, very painful as well. KAS community members are worried about local staff still in Khartoum and are planning a campaign to raise funds to support those staff until the school is able to reopen in Khartoum. If you're interested in supporting the school community in Khartoum, KAS is running its fundraising efforts through AZA, and you can make a contribution to the campaign today. We spoke to Michael, and he wants to let Sudanese people in Egypt know that they can find community at SAS. The KAS-SAS partnership is a manifestation of mission and vision principles for many international schools. When we talk about global citizenship, excellence, community, achievement, service, inclusion, and more, it can be challenging to measure these outcomes. The SAS action of opening its doors to KAS shows a tangible portrayal of these attributes and ideals, one which may inspire other international schools to consider how to fully realize their guiding values. That was Leanne Lavender. Thank you so much for your words, Leanne. As I move through Athens today, I am thinking about Khartoum and Alexandria and the generosity of an outstretched hand. For anyone wanting to donate and support KAS local staff still in Sudan, you can log on to bit.ly slash Khartoum funds. That's bit.ly slash K-H-A-R-T-O-U-M-F-U-N-D-S, all lowercase. Your contributions, however small or large, will provide crucial financial support for staff members and their families, helping them navigate the current crisis in Khartoum. The link and the full written article are also available on NISA News. That brings us to the close of our episode, everyone. Here's Maddie with some closing thoughts. It was great timing to hear about student agency at the beginning of a school year. And as we wrap, you may be pondering uh, some of the, t- the themes that Tom introduced today. And I invite you to think about what might you do more of and continue to do to support students at the wheel. We're very much looking forward also to our next episode with Michael Nakbar of Global Online Academy. Michael has been following the very important field of AI, artificial intelligence, as it is developing. And he will be joining us to talk about how we might leverage technology and the potential of AI to be used effectively in teaching and learning. I hope you'll be with us for the next podcast. Bye-bye for now. The Wayfinder was produced by the Near East South Asia Council of Overseas Schools. Creative writing by Leanne Lavender was featured today. 
I'm your host, Abril Sawarsa Rivera. We'll be back next month with another episode. Stay tuned and take care.